Hello, welcome to Full Circle with Garland. I'm a leader in the DEI space and have spent 20 years of my career in human resources. I've been having meaningful conversations about career development with my friends and colleagues, many of whom are rarely heard on stages and podcasts. I am excited to bring you their stories each week. I will be sharing how their diverse backgrounds have shaped their work, the lessons in their career highs and lows, and the importance of recognizing the full circle moments in life. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this week's interview. Welcome to Full Circle with Garland. Uh, This week's special guest is Minda Hart. Minda and I met, gosh, it feels like a year ago, back when the outside was open and you could go do fun stuff. I attended a book signing of hers here in Los Angeles, and this book was just so right on time. Minda is the best-selling author of The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. She is CEO of The Memo LLC, a career development platform for women of color. Uh, Minda is also an assistant professor at NYU Wagner. She's been featured on MSNBC's Morning Joe, Fast Company, The Guardian, She frequently speaks at companies like Microsoft, Levi's, Google, and Bloomberg on topics such as leadership, managing diverse teams, and self-advocacy. She also hosts a weekly podcast called Secure the Seat. I'm so happy to have her on because she is a busy woman. She is in demand. I'd say she was in demand before, but I'm probably sure she's become more in demand uh, in light of recent events. I'm so happy to have you on, Minda, because I, I just feel like what you're doing, and you probably knew this before it became the moment right now, which is everyone's talking about diversity, specifically around how we can support women of color. You're the pioneer in this space. So I'm so happy to have you on today. Oh, thank you so much, Garland. I am excited to have this time with you. And I don't know if you remember this, but we met even before the book launch, we had coffee at... Um, yes. At, at what was it um at the coffee shop i can't think of it um in my head right now but i see it on the corner yeah, tea, <laughs> yeah. coffee bean and tea leaf coffee boon yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yes 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 we did um and i don't think at the time i was going through my own um i'd say crisis or job trauma or whatever you want to you know what you whatever each woman names it for themselves and so this you came in like right on time for me. I, I probably, we didn't talk about it at that moment, but looking back now, I was searching for a book like this um, because it felt so, uh, it felt so real and it made me realize it's not just happening to me um, because you, when it's happening to you, you are almost like beside yourself. Like, is this really happening? And, and am I, making this up? Am I not seeing this a certain way? Um, And so I'm happy to have you on today because I think I don't know anybody who has been in corporate spaces for any length of time, whether that's five years, 10 years, 15 years, or you don't have those moments where you're just like, I am not sure if I'm built for this. And am I thinking about this in the way that I should? And so what I love about your book is it's affirming one, that your experience is real. Two, that you aren't making this up and there are things that you may be missing and things you can be doing. So you, of course, provide solutions. But then I think your writing style is really, to me, what makes it 
magic because it's talking to us, man. Like, at least for me, I was reading it and I was giggling at points and I was like, oh my God, she totally gets it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that because, uh, you know, uh, Tony Morrison said, write the book you want to read. And, and that's exactly what I did. So I'm glad that you found value in that. Yes. So we're going to jump right in because I usually start my shows with finding out a bit more about you. What was your upbringing like? You know, what has shaped you into who you are today? Talk about that a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I am the oldest of three kids, uh, the only girl. And I grew up, we, I, I would say, working poor, I guess you could say. And uh, we had a lot of love, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of tangible things. And I think from there, I just learned as a young Minda to be very resourceful and resilient. And I think that really helped me when I got to corporate America. And so um, for me, I grew up a good portion of my life in Southern California. And then when I was um, about to be a teenager, my parents moved to Illinois and I started to experience things uh, being the only one that I had not experienced uh, prior to being the only black girl in your class, the sometimes the only in your school. And I think some of those early experiences really um, shaped who I later became. And um, as I talk to you right now, I, I think about all the things that I wish I would have known as a young girl of color that I came to understand being an adult black woman. Yeah. Um, what is one of those early memories of kind of feeling different or othered or realizing, oh, I'm kind of not having the mainstream experience right now? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because <clears throat> right now I'm working on uh, two new books. And one of the books is uh, an adaptation of the memo for young for young girls of color. And I was thinking about some of the experiences that I had, you know, that I wrote about in the in the memo that we're talking about today. But then I was starting to feel like, oh, wow, I remember that. And I, I started to count uh, and lost track of all the times that I heard boys tell me that you're cute for a black girl, but can't date you because you're a black girl. You know, all of those things and you start to feel othered you know, and, and you look at some of your classmates, Becky, Stacy, Amy, and you're wondering, what is it that they have that I don't have? You know what I mean? And, and, and I think a lot of those feelings, that feeling invisible and, and not being seen, it just trickles into, it can trickle into your adult life. And if you don't heal from those things, if you don't acknowledge those things, if you don't talk about those things, then it can definitely be, a, I think, a lot of trauma and a lot of baggage later on in life. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? You said, you know, there are things you wish you knew, and I'm guessing you're, of course, pouring some of that into your upcoming book. But if you could share just something that sticks out for you. Yeah, you know, I, I think that I just wish I would have known that I was enough, right? You know, and I think sometimes you just... You're, you're like, well, what else can I do? You know, I'm, I'm trying to show up. I'm trying to be active. I'm not, I'm trying not to be to this or to that. You know, you're always feeling like you're walking on eggshells when you're one of the only or the only one. And I wish that I would have just known that you are enough, right? You don't have to be like the white girls. You don't have to do anything extra, like everything that makes you, Minda, who you are, or all the things that people are going to love about you later, you know, are going to love about you right now and, and allow yourself 
to be who you need to be for you right now and for you in the future. And I just think as young girls, as adult women, um, and any, however you might identify, we all need that reinforcement. And I think sometimes when you are not in the dominant majority, you don't realize how much you do need that affirmation. I totally agree. So I went to an all girls Catholic school for high school. Recently, I think on Instagram, there's been a lot of black at whatever school, right? My particular school had a black app page and I went and looked at it and it was crazy. 20 years later, some of the same things that I remember thinking about or being like, well, why are we doing this? Or as far as curriculum was concerned, like we spent a lot of time on ancient Rome and Greece. And I was like, (laughs) why are we not studying other civilizations? Like I know there were other civilizations and they had major contributions to the larger, um, you know, zeitgeist of how we do things today. Why are we spending so much time on ancient Roman Greece? And I look back and there's still curriculum that they're teaching right now, books that they are using to teach literature that are these classics, these so-called classics, or these things that are really the white norm. And was reading it through some, it just was like, why are we still here? Even though I think we now are having these conversations and there's definitely more awareness, we still have a ways to go. And I think that's why books like yours are just so perfect for this time because it's shining a light on a lot of the things that I think have, we kind of, you know, talked about with each other, but not necessarily to a larger audience. And I think now is a great time to do that. I'm going to talk a little bit now more about some of the, I'd say, the highlights of your book, the things that kind of stood out for me uh, when I was reading it. Names, right? Uh, I think when, as a recruiter, I can say, you know, I look at people's resumes and I see the names and, you know, your names are identifiers of oftentimes your ethnic or racial background, or they can also be, have a name that's very bland, doesn't really tell you anything. It can also be something of a mystery. I can say for myself, Garland Fuller, I'm mistaken as a man more times than a woman. And oftentimes they assume that I'm probably a white male before they meet me. Once I, you know, see and talk to them, they think I'm a white woman. They oftentimes think I'm older than I am because of whatever vocabulary I'm using or whatever they deem as older. I remember showing up for a job and in the waiting room, this is before LinkedIn folks <laughs> and saying, Oh, Garland Fuller. And I said, Oh yeah, right here. And the like look of surprise that I was who I was. And so what I loved about your book is you talk about your name, right? And how you decided to change your name or shorten your name. And I think about this often when I look at resumes of people who have names that have meaning, like in their cultures, in their national origin of their names, and then they change them. Tell me about your experience of deciding to change your name and what that was like. Yeah, I I resonated so much with what you said, because I I often remember back in the day when you would do the like phone interviews, and then you'd show up in the lobby, and they'd be like, Minda Hearts, and then, you know, here's this black woman coming. (laughs) That's not what I expected. You know, and, um, you know, and you kind of just in your mind, you're like, okay, here we go. And you just know what, what they're thinking because you see their face and you're already 
like, okay, this is where, this is where we are, you know, so let's, let's make it work. And so um, <laughs> for, for me, um, it was one of those things that I didn't even realize Garland that had affected me. Right. You know, I made those, what I felt was a conscious decision for corporate survival. When people would see if they were to see Yasminda on a resume and if they were to see Rebecca, they're probably going to feel more comfortable calling Rebecca on the phone, right? Emailing Rebecca, because now they're looking at, wow, a, a first name that starts with a Y and there's a lot of vowels and <laughs> there's, I don't even know how, where to start. Yes. Right. And, um, and so I just, I knew how I felt when professors would not say my name or just wouldn't say anything or wouldn't even try when I was younger even the same way. And I just knew that I didn't want to have that same experience inside the workplace. And I made that decision to say, hey, I want job opportunities. And I know that people's emotional intelligence or their conscious or unconscious bias are going to prevent many of them from even trying or thinking that I could be a winner, right? They've already made the assumption. And so because I know being a Black woman in the workplace is not an easy feat, I need to take away as many barriers to entry as I possibly could at the expense of my own well-being. And even now, when I'm doing speaking engagements, I'll have young professionals who are about to enter, enter into their first careers. They don't ask me how to ask for more money. They don't ask me about networking. The first thing they ask me, if they're a person of color, be it male or female, they say, should I use my name on my resume, my government name? And it pains me every time that even yeah. in, in this decade, people are asking those questions because they know that that's a legit concern. It totally is. So we're going to move to the next thing because this happened to me in my first corporate job. I was, I don't know, 22, 23. At the time, I didn't think anything of my hair. Black women's hair, so politicized. I remember <laughs> coming in, I had gotten it flat ironed or straightened and went in with it the next week. And one of my colleagues, white, older white woman colleague, you know, literally came up to me and was like, oh, is that your hair? And just started to touch it. Okay. And then was like, oh my God, it's so soft. This is your hair? And I was like, yeah, this is my hair. And yes, this is how it looks when it's straightened. I don't straighten it all the time because it requires more work to keep it straight because it's not naturally straight. And I literally felt like I was giving her a lesson, a 101. <laughs> and it was weird. It was uncomfortable. And it was weird. To this day, I mean, now we've got the Crown Act, which was enacted in July of 2019, uh, that prohibits, you know, discrimination based on hairstyle and to be able to wear your hair however you want. But I, at that moment, was so, it, it was so not only othering, but at the same time, like, why am I having to do this? Why don't you know about my hair? Like, I know everything about your hair. <laughs> why don't you know anything about my hair? <laughs> yep. Yep. And so share your experience with how this shows up in, in our workplace. And e even if you have your own experience of how this is, you know, showed up for you. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sorry that you had to, to deal with that. And I think you're right. I mean, it's, I don't know too many black women who haven't had to have like some type of hair conversation 
in the workplace, not because we wanted to, right? But because um, we were either micro or macro aggressed, or I, I just remember in my former life, having men and women touching my hair. And I'm thinking, I have never in my life touched another person's hair at work, you know, <laughs> I mean, but somewhere along yes. the lines, it, it's okay for them to come in and touch my hair. And I, I just, it's really been bothersome. But what I will say is um, more recently, I just had a woman email me literally last week and she sends me a message and she said, you know, we've been in quarantine and we've been on these zoom calls, you know, for several months. And, um, I had been wearing, she said she had been wearing her hair in a twist style, you know, twist out. And just recently Mm -hmm. she was able to go and get her hair done. And so she comes on, you know, and the CEO of the company says, Oh, so-and-so you finally got your hair done. And, and, um, she wrote me and she's like, I just could not believe it. You know, I couldn't believe that he said that. And I, you know, responded to her a a bunch of things, but I asked her, did anybody say anything? You know, because we have all these allies out here. I said, did anybody say anything to you? And she she said, no, nobody said anything. They just kept going. And, And it really made me think about this whole idea of who gets to decide if our hair is done or not. And just because it's in a natural hairstyle I mean, it's not done, you know? And so again, it's, it's all of these things that should not be talked about that tries to strip away someone's dignity intentionally or unintentionally, it still causes harm. And, and I really hope that we can get to a point where our hair is no longer on the agenda in the workplace. Yeah. It's funny because I, it starts from when we're in school, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, yeah. I remember having moments in, in school and then it now moving to the workplace. And so I think across the board, just getting educated in general about how you can be more aware of what's going on. And then if you are inquisitive and asking questions, you know, how do you go about doing that so you're not belittling the other person or making them feel like there's something wrong with them? Yeah, absolutely. And to your point too, it's so important why we do talk about this to our our young girls too and beyond because it, growing up, I remember having what they called a curl nu- nu- nuevo. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't a Jerry curl, but it was uh, in the family. Like, and I remember my my classmates would go around calling me greaseball, right? And I just felt I, when I got my hair done, I was so excited. But then when I got to school, I just felt like I wanted to shave my whole head off, you know. And those are the things that we don't often talk about. You're you're so right. So let's talk about my favorite topic, which is this new term of allyship that is, you know, I'd say emerged out of all of the reading people have been doing and just awareness is, you know, how we can be better allies. And specifically, since we're talking about women, I think it's important to recognize how white women show up in the workplace and often how they are not sometimes the most supportive, uh, not necessarily looking out for anybody other than sometimes themselves. And then when it comes to, I'd say what we've seen on display this summer with, you know, the Amy Coopers and the term Karen, which apparently for some people have become this flagrant term to call someone a Karen is now like a, a microaggression of apparently, which I, I don't necessarily think is what the term is supposed to be. If you're not a Karen, then you won't be offended by the term. And so 
<laughs> as a woman of color in these spaces, what can you do to protect yourself when you are sometimes feeling attacked? I mean, you talk very, I'd say, candidly and poignantly about your own experience, feeling like there's someone in your workplace who you're trying to work with, regardless, you know, regardless of how they're treating you and, and how some of the things that they're doing very abrasive and even gaslighting. I'd even go there. You are trying to make it work because this is who we are. We're resilient people. We will figure out a way to make some stuff work. So how do you go about knowing when it's not an allyship, when you need to make some changes and what you need to do? Yeah, that, I mean, you, you said a mouthful. And I, and I think this is the point in the story, right? Where as Black women, as you know, anybody who feels like they're on the margin is when we make the decision that this person is not providing allyship, is not providing the coverage that I need, right? So maybe someone else might have experienced yes. allyship with them, but in my personal experience, I'm not receiving that, right? And if I'm feeling harm, then I should be able to address that without backlash, right? And I think that's the part of it. I think so long in the workplace, it's been okay for people to cause harm, but then there's no accountability or even conversation around what that looks like, what a solution looks like. And I, and I would say if you are not feeling supported and maybe you want to go to HR, maybe you don't, maybe you want to have a conversation with your manager, maybe may, they may or may not be emotionally intelligent enough to even have that conversation with you. But the thing of it is we all know when we are being mistreated. It's like any other relationship, right? Um, if you're if you are in a dating relationship and you were experiencing half of the issues that you are in the workplace, you'd be like, I don't know if this person loves me like they say they do, right? I don't know if this is the place I need to be. And I think that's the part where I hope we will give ourselves permission to investigate is this the right situation for us? Right. And I realize not everybody can leave a situation, but let's look at it from all angles. Right. Because at the end of the day, we all know when we've been harmed in some way, shape or form. And I think to your point, as people of color, as black women, we've been conditioned to just try to make it work, try to make it work. And at some point there's no making it work because it's doing more harm to us than good. And we have to figure out how to recover from all of that harm. Right. So I think we really have to you know, decide where we're going to draw our line in the sand and have those conversations that need to be had or find a new table to sit at or build your own. But I, I think it's time that we at least give ourselves permission to call what we're experiencing, what we're feeling, name it, right? Because we don't, we don't have to hold on to that. That's so, so true. I, I mean, I think, I think we do often chime, think we can either turn something around or just think, you know, if I just work at it harder and then I will be able to overcome. And then I think times when you are in a situation where you don't sometimes see a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, this is why it's important to have a group of people who you can go to with these things who have, they, they, are, they don't have the blinders on that you have or have experienced something similar. And so they're able to provide you with some perspective because when you're going through it, I think you're so in it that you can't sometimes see through it. Yeah, absolutely. You have been named one of LinkedIn's top voices of 2020 for equity in the workplace. You host the weekly LinkedIn Live 
um, where you have a variety of guests that come on to talk more about pressing topics that have become so critical. And you are definitely speaking quite a few rooms, not only the bigger conference-type spaces, but also with leaders. So what are you hearing right now that you maybe didn't hear a year ago? Yeah, that's a great question, Garland. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I, I know that some may be listening to this conversation be like, wow, we still have a long way to go. You know, it's it's some heavy stuff, but but at least we're in a position right now where what I'm seeing in many companies, at least they're, they moved from saying that, you know, making the public display of affection of Black Lives Matters, um, many made that, but there's still a lot of companies who have yet to even say it, right? So for the ones that have, they're actually now having conversations about what equity looks like inside the workplace and what are the, and how, what systems do we need to dismantle so that everybody at work can thrive and not just survive? And so I, I'm loving some of the conversations that I'm taking place in or that, you know, people are emailing me at companies saying, hey, our CEO is leading this charge. We're, we now have a budget for the black ERG. <laughs> you know, we, we now have retention programs that are being created uh, for, you know, women of color or symposiums where sponsorship, you know, realizing that, oh, uh, pay equity is an issue for women of color inside this company. And so let's make it right. Right. And so those companies that are willing to say, yes, we made some mistakes. Maybe we didn't pay attention to this, but it's those who are willing to do the extra work. Right. Those that are not just saying, hey, it's a problem and it's still a problem, but they're actually working toward making the, the workplace work for everybody. And and there's so many companies and leaders that are leaning into their courage right now. And I'm excited to see um where the needle moves in the next year and beyond. Well, what is coming up next? You had an opportunity to tell a little bit more about two books that you're working on. What are you kind of excited about? What's upcoming for you, Minda? Thank you for that. And again, thank you for all of your support. Right now, I'm knee deep in two books right now uh, in the editing phases of them. Uh, One book will be out October of 2021, and that's about Um, How do we heal from racial trauma? Because many of us, as you've listened to the conversation, we've been dealing with a lot ever since our youth. And so many of us have not explored what healing looks like or maybe even realized that they could. Right. So realizing some of the situations that we've dealt with in our careers, how that really can weigh us down. And and it's hard to bring your authentic self to work when you're still plagued with some of your your past trauma due to the workplace. And so I'm, ex- I'm really excited about that book because I, I feel like that's a, an opportunity for some real transformation, internal work. And then uh, the book that comes after that is called You Are More Than Magic. And it's a young adult version of the memo. I'm excited about that. I've got a little girl over here. And I think anything you can do to start to shore up their self-esteem and let them know exactly that you are more than magic is is everything. So I'm excited about I'm excited about both of them actually. But I think <laughs> having a, a young person in your life, you realize you get to shape them hopefully a little bit more um, and have those conversations so that they like don't stay in situations that aren't serving them. So I I'm excited about this. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate you just taking the time. I know your schedule is packed. And so I have two things I ask right before I end, and that is conclusion drives my work because. 
future generations are counting on it. And what does life look like coming full circle to you? Well, yeah, I love this question. Really, life coming full circle to me is being able to speak my truth. When I wrote the memo, I wrote it in based out of a really dark time in my life and in my career. And I thought that I had that my dreams were deferred, right? That dream that I had worked so hard to to master and secure my seat at the table in corporate America, I, I really thought that it had died. And <laughs> what I realized was I'm still working in corporate America, but in a different way. And, and sometimes our dreams are real, it's not maybe in the way in which we once think they will be, but in other ways. And, and I'm so glad that I'm actually working in a corporate structure um, and partnership to make it better, right? Because had I stayed in that in that dream, it may have only benefited me. And now I have the opportunity to hopefully help make the workplace better for so many more people. Yeah, that is so, that's so good. Yeah. Oh, this has been fantastic. I I feel like when the next book comes out, I like need to try to find a way to get on your calendar because I'm excited. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you've done. I appreciate you before people knew you were you because I could see that you had, I went to your, when I went to your book signing, I was like, she's going to be, she's going to be everything. And so to see you right now having the the ultimate glow up, as we say, um, (laughs) has been just my heart's joy. So I I love you. I appreciate you. And I'm excited for all that's to come. Same, same mutual love and admiration. Thank you for sharing your stage with me. What a great episode with Minda Hart's. Uh, What I enjoyed about this conversation, I'd say, is twofold. Um, So for parents, I think if you um, have any small children around you, I think realizing that conversations about difference start when your children are young. Um, Research has shown that at least three months, by the time a child is three months old, um, they can prefer certain faces. Uh, By the time they're nine months old, they use race to categorize faces. And three-year-old children in the United States associate some racial groups with various negative traits. Um, So avoiding conversations about race sends a message that there's something off limits and even bad about difference, whether that be race, abilities, gender identity, body shapes. Uh, I don't know anybody who hasn't had a two or three-year-old in a store and they point at somebody and say something. And you as a parent in that moment have a choice of whether you are going to answer their question and educate them or say, be quiet, don't say anything um, and kind of shut that conversation down. So I encourage parents um, particularly uh, to lean into these conversations because once these seeds get planted, it can be very difficult to remove them. And so sentiments about you know, being colorblind or we are all a part of a human race. Uh, It sounds great on the outside, but what it actually does is negates the richness and the pride that exists across cultures, races, national origins, um, and a variety of other identity markers. So lean into those conversations uh, because as white parents, your children are critical in assessing that this is important and also are the future allies for um, 
you know, everyone else. So in contrast, I find families with, you know, BIPOC, LGBTQ, children with disabilities, like marginalized children are having these conversations as young as three years old, and they do not have the privilege to hold off on having these conversations. Uh, Often these conversations are critical to educating children on how to advocate for themselves in situations that can sometimes be hostile. Um, And honestly, now, uh, given all that we've experienced this past year, it can also be to navigate encounters for their own survival. So I'm all about solutions. What can we be doing to be better? Uh, The big thing I can tell you in terms of takeaways is white parents who might be freaking out right now when, you know, all of this is going on. Uh, If you are in homogeneous spheres of influence and you don't have any, you know, circles of friends that are uh, of a variety of races and cultures and religions and backgrounds, is that it's not too late for you to play catch up with your kids. Uh, It's not too late for you to acknowledge that you are new to this and to begin an open dialogue with your children. Um, Learning with your children, acknowledging that you don't have all the answers is huge in relieving the need to know what to say and what to do in all situations. Um, I always encourage parents to realize that this is no different from any other kind of learning that you have done along with your children. Uh, I think all kinds of relationships um, start with our kids when they're young And this is what carries us through. So if you don't feel like you have the tools, there are coaches and consultants that are out there that specialize in this that can help you to become more um, astute and adept at talking to your kids about race. Parents of BIPOC kids, LGBTQ kids, kids who are, you know, kind of on the margins, whether that's through learning difference, um, visible or invisible, visible or invisible. Invisible disabilities continue, of course, to listen and be open to the conversations that your children are bringing to you. Most importantly, continue to affirm that their experiences are real, Um, pour into them that they are enough. And if you feel that you are not equipped, uh, please seek out, uh, again, therapists, coaches. There are people in this space who, again, are totally equipped to help you to navigate having these conversations. Um, And it's important for them to understand that um, they are enough and that they um, have parents who not only support them, but are there as their biggest cheerleaders. Um, I've included resources in the show notes to talk about this more, if this all sounds new to you or you'd like more. Um, And then the second thing that she talked about that stood out for me Um, was the reality of workplace job trauma and bullying. Um, I think that oftentimes um, when these things happen to us at work, we are oftentimes very surprised or just overwhelmed. Um, Microaggressions can feel like death by a thousand paper cuts. So naming it is important and recognizing it when it shows up. Um, What are microaggressions, you might ask? It's a statement, action, or incident um, that is regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group. So this is what I would consider your off-color jokes or in the scenario that I provided of someone being surprised and Minda as well, like someone being surprised that you're the individual that's there for the interview. 
Um, it's very much of uh, a form of little things that happen and it may not seem like a big deal, but there are various forms that occur um, from micro insults and micro invalidations, people mistaking you um, for someone else because you both are the same race. People may, you know, ask you to shorten your name because it's easier for them to say your name. Um, there's all kinds of ways that this can show up. And so uh, what tends to happen over time with these microaggressions is disengagement. Uh, you stop wanting to you know, participate. You stop wanting to raise your hand. Um, as a result, your productivity is lower. And then oftentimes attrition happens and you decide to leave. So um, again, solutions, because I'm all about that, is um, normalizing therapy. Therapy is huge. Um, I think that oftentimes when these things happen in these corporate spaces, um, having an opportunity to name them and create a space for yourself to acknowledge that it's real and it's happening. Um, someone who can walk you through taking a different perspective um, and ultimately healing uh, because it is definitely a big part of, I'd say, some of the baggage that we carry with us every day in our work. And so having a space in which to uh, get this type of help is huge. Um, and then secondly, Assessing whether it's worth it to stay or leave these situations for the sake of your physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Um, and I think that's where therapy can be huge in helping you to gain clarity on next steps and to be able to look at what is there and what you want to take from those situations um, for yourself. So I've also included information in the show notes about that. Uh, this was a heavier than normal, I'd say, um, notes and kind of garlands nuggets, because I think these are huge topics. Um, and we oftentimes just either glaze over them or we don't get an opportunity to really dig into them. Um, and so what I loved about having a chance to speak with Minda this week is that we were able to kind of, you know, place some parameters around them and talk about them in situations that are anecdotal, which I don't know anybody who can't tell you specific stories of when they've been othered or feel different. Um, and so it's very important to ensure that there's a space for this and that they are really happening and hopefully giving people some insight on what um, solutions are available. So um, just as a recap, the two things that I took out of her conversation today is that um, different starts when your children are young um, and they are watching us at all times and following our lead. So lean into these vulnerable conversations and get the additional assistance you may need if you feel like you're um, not at a place where you can give um, the kind of help that's necessary. Um, and then the second part is that workplace uh, trauma and bullying is real and getting help is critical in maintaining overall wellness and determining what the best path forward looks like. Thank you so much, and we'll have a wonderful holiday. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Full Circle with Garland. And if you'd like to be a guest, go to garlandfuller.com. Thank you for listening and sharing your time with me. I hope this next week helps you to recognize the full circles in your own life. Bye bye.